Hello? I'm sorry to interrupt your lunch conversations, and of course we wanted to encourage that, and I don't want to uh, keep anyone from please helping yourself to another sandwich if you're able to do that with uh, the food that we have here. Um, but we do want to get you out of here before rush hour, so <laughs> so I'm going to uh, do my presentation now. And 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 uh, after me, we have two more sessions, and mine will actually be fairly brief and actually, believe it or not, uh, low tech. So <laughs> by by design. The one thing that I would mention to you, and you'll see on the um, website that's up here, our Fowley Library website. It'll scroll through the four banners uh, that we have up right now. Uh, earlier reference was made by Michael to the web banners. These are the banners he was talking about. And what was really nice is that this is an example of where of that innovation that just happens because it's a good idea. Uh, someone, when we had a previous uh, web designer here who had built this into the architecture of the website to have a web banner there, and I said, you know, well, that would be really great with all the event programming that we do here. And those of you who are not aware, that as the outreach librarian, I help coordinate those events. And I should mention here, together with my invaluable colleague, Ann Ford, who made today's lunch possible and, and a lot of the other aspects of logistics of today's event. And, um, and when I talked to the web designer about doing uh, web banners for the different events, he goes, you know what, they're too much work. I don't feel like, I don't want to do it. But then, uh, but then he left. So I, I went to the next person who was going to be in charge of the website, and I said, you know, wouldn't it be a really great idea? And that person, and of course it was because at the time he was they in full force working on Viewfind and a lot of other higher priority projects. And of course the question of real estate on the website was also uh, something that had to be addressed by our internal web committee. So we do have some, you know, bureaucratic restraints in some sense. But because of the empowerment that Joe has given all of us as librarians, um, you know, someone said, hey, that's a really great idea. And since the other person who I wanted to mention today is uh, Joanne Quinn, our in-house uh, graphic designer, she's the one who produced the beautiful programs that we have for today's event. And I am going to make reference to this, so if you have it, you can pull it out now. But um, it's really great to have someone that skill set and that level of talent. And when I said something to her about, you know, well, we need someone to actually create these web banners. And I said, you know, you're already doing the posters for us. Isn't it kind of an easy thing, or does that create a two-headed monster for you, or three-headed? And she goes, no, that'd be a lot of fun. You know, let's do it. And so when we got the approval for the real estate to be used, not exclusively by event programming uh, or even programming and outreach uh, team, as Michael said, digital library, as you can see, uh, the exhibit uh, that's going on upstairs, we have a web banner for that. You may have already seen the business research skills workshop that's being done by our business librarian on campus for our students. That's in addition to all of the other instruction and other work that's done. Um, we were able to create a banner there. Another banner that's right now in the rotation is also asking for user feedback on our website. Um, and so, and the thing that's nice is that, to use Joanne's words, we we have certain things that are evergreen that we can put in the stock, that we we can cycle back in there when there's not enough in terms of current event programming. So for example, in the summer when we have no events, we have to have something there. And so we put other things in, whether it's related to uh, the exhibits or usability studies or whatever it is, uh, we, can, we can put something up there. And hopefully it's not only informative, but it's also attractive, which is the other uh, aspect of outreach. Uh, with the graphic designer's work on my team, programming and outreach, 
the one thing we thought was, well, why is that? You know, why does she uh, do that kind of work? And we said, well, because it's visual outreach. So we're trying to expand the notion of what does it mean to be uh, doing outreach as a library. I mean, certainly our contact with our basic constituents, the students, faculty, and staff at Villanova University, is our primary outreach. But in creating a library that is at not only the physical heart of our campus, but also at the intellectual nexus of learning and teaching on campus, we wanted to do things that also reach out to them in both curricular and co-curricular ways. So again, the mention was made of the Confessions Alive, a marathon reading, a 12-hour reading of the entire Confessions of St. Augustine was able to dovetail with an on-campus um, Augustine month where we're gonna do Augustinian Heritage Month in November. And then that way the library gets involved in something that's a natural because it's a public read of a book. I mean, it just made sense. Um, so that's a little bit about programming and outreach. The, uh, the next thing I just wanted to say uh, is an attempt at a little bit of humor, but also uh, to illustrate something. So if you're wondering why is he telling a joke, this is, it, it's to illustrate something. So scholars uh, generally debate when the Catholic Church entered the modern era. And many will point to the time when John Twenty-Third announced the opening of the Second Vatican Council. But given the fact that that announcement was going to be put on television, I would submit that it was the moment that the television producer said, cue the Pope. <laughs> and my point is this, non-intermediated learning went out with Socrates, Homer, and Jesus. People learn by the mediation of the use of technology as a tool for learning and teaching. Now, of course, you could say, well, why, why did you pick those three examples? Well, as soon as Homer's epic poems were written down, the Homeric pantheon was codified for all time, which was never true in the time of Homer. And certainly, Hesiod would have something to say about it. But at the same time, he was a sort of competitor of Homer. The other person that I mentioned is Socrates. You know, we all think, well, Socrates is this great thinker and everything, never wrote anything down. It's only because of what Plato wrote down as a student of his that we know what it is that Socrates thought and taught and what he said to his disciples at his knees. And of course that brings us to Jesus, who was another example who never wrote anything down, and yet as soon as the apostles started writing everything down, we get this canon that then becomes normative for an entire tradition for 2,000 years. So the idea is that it's learning that is direct is not really realistic, and particularly in our day and age. Now, some people might say, well, what about the musician or the craftsman who learns at the knee of the person who is really skilled at what they do? But I would say, in that case, it's also intermediated by the tools, either the instrument or the actual craftsman's tools, that are used, that were designed, engineered, and then produced in order to, what, carve the, the mallard uh, duck carving or to make the clay pot or to learn how to play the banjo, which I am now told I could do if I actually went onto YouTube. So, um, <laughs> which shows you how far we've actually come with all of these things. To further put things into context, and I, I mentioned that I was going to make reference to this, and I, I actually want to make reference to our beautiful timeline that we have in here. And it was not intended necessarily as a brag rag. It wasn't just to say, look at all the great things we do. 
But if you'll notice, they're color-coded. So the idea was that also to talk about the, the, the cross-collaboration, and collaboration is a really big key here at, at Falvey, uh, cross-fertilization, uh, cross-pollinization that goes on. Not any one of these projects was done in isolation from the rest of the library. Um, there was somebody other than you know, the few people who were working on that project who have contributed in very real intellectual and material ways into making those projects come to fruition. Now, obviously, as we mentioned earlier, there are certain people who are tasked with the assignment of making things go and, and uh, really making them work. But of course, as you all know, eventually we have to shoot the engineers and go into production. So, <laughs> no, no slight on you, tech guys. No, but you know, the idea is that we have to actually bring fruit to bear on, on what, what we do. And so the one example that I would give to you is that Joe mentioned, the, the, and, and Michael too, the Belgian project, when that project was conceived, it initially was conceived in all of the ways that Joe characterized it. And you'll see on the timeline, it even notes when the Finding Augustine website went live. And in, in a way, it was sort of a soft launch of the basic product that was initially engineered by that agreement. And notice the agreement was developed out of collaboration too, which is why collaboration is so important. But the other point that I would make about that was as we begin to, and this is where I really touch on what my title of my talk is, Exploding the Myth and Exploring the Meaning of the Institutional Repository. Um, when we began to talk about institutional repository here, we certainly immediately went out and started looking at DSpace and Fedora and all these other things out there. Um, and realizing all the good points and the bad points that are there. But when we thought about it, uh, the one example was that, you know, Andrew was already building the architecture for the Augustine bibliography. Well, gee, if we want to build a citation management software uh, system, wouldn't it make sense to kind of build on that, particularly since we're already doing that in development, and then apply it to an application like what has become known as the Community Bibliography Project. And you'll notice on the timeline, a lot of the things that have been mentioned today are, are there. And I would also mention to you, if you uh, may not, you may have wanted to ask about URLs on the back are URLs for a lot of things like the Blue Electro blog and other things that were mentioned today. Um, you'll note on the timeline that there was a gala launch of the Community Bibliography. But it also notes that it also was a launch of the Faculty Full Text Collection because the digital library was already an existing image management software project, we thought, well, how do the citation uh, project and the image project, how do they interact? And of course, the, the common response is, well, if we use DSpace, it's all in one big monolithic monster, and you have to figure out ways of making it work. But what we said, let's be a little bit more intelligent, we feel, and also a little bit more nimble by saying, well, you know, if we can do citations over here, we get away from the problem of copyright. And if we do image management over here, it gets us out of the business of somehow trying to be completely comprehensive in our image library so that we can then be more selective and more uh, specific about what it is we want to include in the digital library. But then, of course, there's the bridge. The bridge is the faculty full text collection for the community bibliography. So all of those citations, as Joe said, there was a very sort of grandiose notion that we were going to do a bibliography of all the intellectual output of everyone associated with the community since the inception of the university. Well, that's, that's a never-ending project, I can tell you. <laughs> but at the same time, we said, but you know, there are faculty out there who have full text, and they want to make them available to the scholarly community. 
So we want to include them in our digital library because they're actually images, not simply citations. But in every citation, it links over to the full text image. And again, it's because we're continuing to use intermediation to allow scholarship to flourish, but it's done in a way that's so seamless now, at least with people being so familiar with using the internet, that they don't even think about it. In fact, they expect it. And, and in fact, when we first got involved with the uh, Catholic Research Resources Alliance, one of the first complaints that they gave to us in terms of one of the problems that they kept encountering were scholars would go in and look at their, their portal and go to, to the citations and then they kept clicking saying, where's the full text, where's the full text? And we said, well, you know what, we engineered it the other way around. We built the full text first and then we figured out how we'd get people there. And that's part of the beauty of both the collaboration and uh, using tools for intermediation or what we would otherwise think of as technology. A couple of other things that, uh, that are not on the timeline that I want to mention. And some of these things you're probably very familiar with. And I, and I know I said I was going to keep it short, so I want to cut this uh, at, at, after this. Um, in 1995, the Digital Library Federation was founded. And it was founded to create a, di a distributed open digital library. And in 1999, Open Archives Initiative began with the Santa Fe meeting. In 2000, ePrints 1.0 was released and it contained OAI um, 0.2 support. In 2001, the Open Archives Initiative produced its protocol for metadata harvesting, the OAI PMH that was referenced earlier. And in 2002, DSpace was developed by MIT in collaboration with a corporate entity, HP. 2003, Fedora grew out of the Red Hat Linux, uh, and that was because of you know sort of one thing dying away as another thing was, was coming up, uh, Phoenix-like. And then you had in 2003 also the Berlin Declaration, which was an international open access uh, agreement that many institutions have signed on to and, and was initiated in many respects by Max Planck Society, which I should also note uses UFIND in many ways. Um, <laughs> now, not then, of course. Uh, 2005, an audit checklist for the uh, certification of a trusted digital repository by the RLG and the National Archives and Records Administration was created. So all of that in a, a series of 10 years, all of those things happened. And they didn't just happen in cyberspace, they actually happened to our profession. Because as we know, and I say this because I started in 1995, I went to library school in 1995. The web was a novel concept. It was barely even taught at library school in 1995. Um, we were still doing dialogue and all those other old things for learning how to do database searching, which is all, has served me well. But I had a lot of other things that I needed to learn as a librarian as well. So what were we doing here at Falvey? And I, I don't want to uh, rehearse all of the things that have already been said, but there were a couple of moments that I find poignant that I would point out. One was that the university invited a Phi Beta Kappa uh, scholar, Hal Abelson from MIT, to come give a talk on universities, the internet, and the intellectual commons. And this was in 2003. So right in the midst of all of that timeline that I gave you. Um, Joe Lucia encouraged every librarian, every staff member of Falvey to go to his talks. In fact, we invited Hal Abelson, in addition to his main talk, to give a talk in the library. So you can see sort of nascent ideas of increasing our profile in terms of event programming. But more importantly, it allowed the staff to think more intentionally about where are we headed in the profession when it comes to things like intellectual property and distributed scholarship. In 2004, um, 
Joe also invited Ed Fox from Virginia Tech to come to have a conversation, and that's all it was, a conversation with the staff about electronic theses and dissertation programs. At the time, again, it was still somewhat embryonic. Now it seems probably old hat to think about electronic theses. But we started to think, you know, how are we going to do this? What are we going to do? And that was right at the time when we really were looking at DSpace, Fedora, and all these other products. Um, then in 2004, there was a regional LIDA Institute, uh, XML and Libraries. Ron Gilmore from the University of Tennessee gave a talk in Harrisburg. And again, a whole cohort of librarians went to that. Now, I am not very, you know, facile when it comes to XML. And in fact, I barely knew HTML. And I think there were some of my colleagues that were in the same boat. And there were some that were technologists, um, or more at least tech savvy. But we went to that because we realized that this is a part of what it means to be a librarian in today's world, at least in the 21st century. Um, and then in 2007, the uh, Open Repositories, which is an ongoing international conference that happens uh, every year, was in San Antonio. And I went as the designate of Falvey representing both the digital library and more generally uh, and more broadly, you know, what is it that we can learn from other people who are doing things and that conference is specifically designed around DSpace, Fedora, and ePrints, which I mentioned in my timeline. Um, and when I got there, you know, I was learning a lot because it was a lot of technologists and very few librarians and uh, in fact I had to ask my tech uh, colleague Andrew Nagy at the time, I, I said, I have to have a meeting with you and we sat down I said, what's the dress code? I go to librarian things all the time, but what are these these technology folks? You know, I don't have too many ACDC t-shirts, you know, or whatever it is that tech people wear to these things. So um, that joke was actually inside joke. But, uh, um, so I went to the Open Repositories conference, and as as I saw some very impressive things, and in fact, at 2007 Open Repositories, the big hot item was mannequin, which is named actually after the bird species, not after the the dummies and department stores, um, which was an XML uh, user interface that was developed for DSpace. And it was very big and very important uh, to DSpace users because it was actually making DSpace more user friendly. Well, I'm thinking, why do you want to use something that's not user friendly in the first place? Um, but at the same time, everyone was saying, okay, well, you know, I said, we're interested. What, do we, what should we do? Well, I asked the ePrints people, well, ePrints is wonderful, but it's UK based and they have all kinds of problems. You know, so I asked the Fedora people, and they said, well, Fedora is, wonder Fedora is wonderful, but you better have a room full of programmers to be able to figure this stuff out. Huh? Well, we had one at the time. So, um, and so then I went to the DSpace folks, and we saw some really cool things. One was an example of an open source software solution that's now been developed by some DSpace users out at the University of Wisconsin College of Engineering at Madison, uh, which was, a, in a way, a citation management tool that could be used within DSpace. Well, I'm thinking, well, gee, you know, back at Falvey, what we're doing is we're already working on those things, but we're doing them not in complete isolation. We're not creating silos. They all communicate with one another. But what's more important is that because we have basically articulated all of these different projects in separate ways and tasked different people or different teams with these things, it's allowed us to be able to develop them all at the same time, but in a way that is a collaborative and B one that is strengthening of our position in terms of actually doing these things because all the things that people at the conference open repositories conference could say about DSpace who were users of DSpace were all of the problems all of the things that this monolithic thing was not solving and of course it was seen as sort of a boon to the idea of building a digital library so it's not necessarily to trumpet 
everyone can do it the way we do it or the way we did it. What I would say is that one thing that I would encourage every library to do is to really think about what's the best way for you to do it. What's the best way, given your human talent and human resources, for developing these kinds of projects? But the final thing is I'll leave you with words of Dave Lankus, who some of you may be familiar with. I went to another conference on the virtual reference desk, and this was back in that same period. And he, he got up in front of the group, and of course he's very provocative in a lot of things he says, and this wasn't that provocative, but I, it stuck with me. He said, he got up and he said, you know what, as librarians, if we're in the business of competing with Google, we've lost, period. It's not about competing with Google, because at the time, that's what reference librarians were trying to do. Well, we're better, we know more, we can help you out better, and Google's just gonna get better. And, and all of the other things that are related to it or inspired by it are also going to contribute to the end user being able to do what they do or what they want to do more efficiently and hopefully uh, get what they want. And sometimes they don't even know what it is that they found or what it is that they want. And of course, that's not to malign that traditional library services are extremely important still. And you'll notice I put on the table uh, my business card. You'll look at what I, I do. I'm not only an outreach librarian, but I also do instruction. I also do re research uh, support uh, appointments with students. And as has been said, we all wear many hats. I also work on partner development for the digital library. And um, so traditional roles in libraries are still important. But I would really think long and hard about the intersection between scholarship and technology because it's not going away. We have to live with it, and we want to do it well if we're really going to serve our communities. The, the very last thing that I would say is that as my role in the digital library, as the uh, person who helps to encourage and sponsor and groom digital partners, I am more than willing and happy to t discuss with any of you if you were interested in being a digital partner with Valby. Um, Michael mentioned it earlier. Uh, we, we have had several successes with uh, uh, several different uh, major institutions in, in the Philadelphia area. The one most recently that we're getting ready to announce is the partnership with uh, LaSalle University, which again, if you go to your timeline, a lot of these things are there. Um, but in 2011, we're going to be uh, really announcing to the world the fact that you know, LaSalle University has this world-class Bible collection. Now we're partnering with them in a way that costs nobody any money other than the staff time that we've committed to these projects, right? So we're not asking them to pay anything, and we're not paying them anything, but then we get to highlight that world-class collection, and we get to augment what we have in our digital holdings by adding to it some very, very rare examples of the thing that we're going to highlight on the anniversary year of 2011, the King James Bible. So it makes scholarship something that can, can flourish by means of the intersection of uh, scholarship and technology. And with that, I, I thank you very much, and I'm going to turn the podium over to the Assistant Outreach Librarian, I believe, or no, um, to Dave Uspel, who is the developer. <laughs> I wasn't sure which one was going for. Dave Uspel. Hey, everybody. Can you hear me okay? All right, that's good, because I say that like I can do something about it. So, my name is David Uspel. I'm here to present from Vitae to Google, Techn Technical Intermediation for Scholarship Discovery. As a big, long title, which basically means we want to take data from point A and put it in a place that everybody can see it. Hey, so I wanted to give a quick rundown of what we'll be covering. Uh, I got a slide about me first. 
Uh, take note that it's a good time to go ahead, get up, use the bathroom, get another sandwich, you know, hang out for a little bit outside, feel free. It's probably better off that way anyway. Uh, after that, I wanted to give everybody a big picture view of where we're coming from, from top down, uh, go from the library's mission down to what we're doing. Uh, after that, I want to show where we're collecting our data from uh, in our activity insight and data collection or how I stopped worrying and love data harvesting, which proves, of course, that not all my jokes are gems. <laughs> then we go from uh, community bibliography, which Darren touched on, to worldwide web discovery. That's where all the meaty good stuff is. And then we tie it all together and pray everything still works. It was working five minutes ago course, which means everything will be down in five minutes from now. So about me, sandwich time, go ahead. Uh, I actually started here at the library July 12, 2010. Uh, yesterday was my three-month anniversary. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm as shocked as you are. I didn't think I'd make it three months either. Uh, previous to working here, I actually come from a whole different universe. I worked at Lockheed Martin, which if you're not familiar, is a uh, large defense company. Worked there for about nine years. Previous to that, I had a co-op at ARL, which is Penn State's research arm, but that's also the defense industry. So I come from the big, everything is hidden and you don't talk to anybody anywhere <laughs> universe to here where they go, hey, there's random people, let's all bring them together and right. tell everybody what we're doing, which is shocking to me. It's like, they're gonna steal all our secrets. So, uh, likes, geekery, there's uh, no dice I haven't rolled in this universe. I'm also a big fan of tacos, and nothing I hate more in this world than traffic. I hate traffic. It's the only time you'll see me really angry is when I'm sitting in traffic. All right, here's the big picture. Uh, crib some of these notes from the boss. I was thinking I'd you know, sneak these in, get a couple of brownie points, but then Michael came along and uh, <laughs> stole the thunder from me. So very important note, never follow Michael in a speech because no matter what you do, he's going to do it and turn it up to 11. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, our boss Joe gave a, a speech to us a little while ago, and he was highlighting at the beginning what our core missions were and why we exist, and then kind of went down and showed what we were doing to fill those missions. So here are the four that he had highlighted. What is the library? Why do we exist? And of course, we want this to be a learning space for people, a social place where people can gather. Uh, we want it to enable education, obviously. We want to to uh, push students forward in their scholarship. We also want it to be a commons, a common meeting place. Uh, we're kind of fortunate here in that our library is central on campus, so we tend to get a lot of traffic of people coming in just to hang out and uh, talk to each other, sleep over at the desks, et cetera. And the last one is to be a scholarly partner with the faculty here. And that's kind of the realm that, that we drift in here as a community outreach. And as a scholarly partner, we want to showcase what we do here at the university. And there's really kind of two arms to showcasing what you do at the university. The first one is stuff. We got a lot of stuff here. Good stuff, interesting stuff. Uh, I think uh, Michael and Dave and, uh, and Laura kind of showed off all the good stuff we can you know, present to the world. So we want, and we want to show that. That's good for the university. But we also have another side, which is people. So we don't just offer stuff and books. We have professors and, and other people producing things for the university, and that's a resource that we want to show off to the world. So that's kind of where we step in. So we do that via programming and outreach. We have talks and speeches here. We also do it through our community bibliography, which Darren mentioned earlier. 
So instead of going through slides on what the community bibliography is, I'll actually show it to you, assuming it's still up. See, I don't know any better not to do things live. Yeah. So uh, I made this quick page here to kind of show off our digital projects. Uh, as you can see, we have the digital library uh, that was mentioned earlier, uh, journals, uh, Stephen will be talking about that shortly. We talked about exhibits. Uh, our Augustine collection, uh, community bibliography, which I'm going to show shortly, and uh, well, blogs get the short end of it. And that's why we don't go live. Give it a second. There we go. To the backup. All right, what is the community bibliography? <laughs> Glad I made these. It is a celebration of Villanova University community authors and scholars past, present, and future. We basically want to collect the body of work from uh, the members of the university and display it. And we do it through our community bibliography site. And this is the first paragraph of the page that I can't show you because the site is down. Uh, Falvey Memorial Library's community bibliography is an open repository of the entire published output of Villanova University. The extensive database offers a detailed view of our proud scholarly heritage from our community's historical publications of the 19th century to the cutting edge research of today. And that's important. We want things from well into the past and we want things that have just been produced. So here's what the exciting page would look like if you could actually see it. Um, right here I did a quick search for the word mark and I get all these entries now. What does this look like? This is uh, Viewfind. So we've uh, integrated Viewfind into our community bibliography. So these are resources that we pulled up in our index and these are all publications and works from Villanova University. So of course I just moved on so the surprise is out there. But the big question is that's a lot of stuff that we have to gather up to you know, present for our community. Because we have to kind of needle everybody to show us what they're doing. Anything that just published, we have to gather it up. That's a very labor-intensive practice. So we want to kind of automate it, make it a little faster, try to gather it up as quick as we can. So how can we do that? Well, we have something called Activity Insight on campus. Is anybody familiar with Activity Insight? OK. It is a tool uh, published by Digital Measures. It is not ours. It is a web-based information management system designed to organize and build reports on faculty members' teachings, research, and service activities. Basically, uh, administration uses it uh, a lot of times for when faculty is trying to get tenure. They can build a, you know, a body of work, and you can use it in the presentation of tenure. And some of the things you can produce with the Activity Insight software is the Vitae, uh, you know, as I said, tenure recommendations, faculty teaching loads. You can get annual reports and accreditation reports, uh, stuff for U.S. News and World Report, et cetera. Uh, suddenly, aha, uh -huh, right there at the top of the list in red, that's exactly what we're looking for. That's people are producing a database of their work already. So instead of chasing people around and trying to dig up this information, we have it right there. So we want to integrate that into our community bibliography. So this is the process that we use right now. You can see this is all the artwork that I learned in my engineering background. <laughs> clip art. Throw clip art on the background and you're good to go. So I'll walk you through this one. <laughs> 
This is our uh, faculty member, clearly. You can tell by his little square hat. <laughs> and he inputs stuff into Activity Insights, his uh, information, his uh, body of work. Now, we don't want to look at everything because there's a lot of private data in there that they don't want shared outside. So we just want a little piece of it. So we want to get the intellectual collaboration piece. And they store, Activity Insight actually stores it on their site, but we own that database. So Villanova owns the database, but the software is from Activity Insight. So what we do nowadays is we uh, pull an XML dump of Activity Insight, convert it to a format that we can use, and then this guy here is actually library uh, members. Sometimes uh, the data that gets entered isn't in the best format. I'm sure anybody's worked with forms, you know, you get all sorts of random stuff in there. People don't know what they're doing. They leave form entries blank, et cetera. Uh, stuff that's required, they'll put A, B, C, D, E just to get things uh, put in. So a lot of it we have to retool by hand, go pull the tags out, change it, and then put it into our local index, and then ViewFind can search it and bring it up in our bibliography site. What we're looking to do, if you pull out your handy-dandy timeline again, up here at the top there's a little bar. So this is stuff that's coming in the future. Notice my project is the next one on the menu. <laughs> what we're looking to do is make the process a little cleaner. Right now we pull out all the data, alter it, put it in a local database. So now we have a database with entries that aren't totally clean, I guess would be the term. We have a database with stuff cleaned up. So now you have two databases with the same information, one good, one bad. So we're hoping to make it slightly more clean by uh, instead of piping it into our local index, we wanted to clean it up and put it back into the Activity Insight database with the faculty member's permission. That's important because nobody wants their data messed with from an external source not told about. So the big key here is we get permission from the faculty to update their information, put it back into the Activity Insight database, and then pull it up through ViewFind. And of course, we still have stuff that isn't directly in Activity Insight, especially older stuff, so we're still pulling from our local index. So that's where we are getting the data. So once data is accessible by community bibliography, we can index into Google. This is where it gets exciting. It's where we start doing the work. So what we want to do is have a sitemap generated by ViewFind. We want that sitemap registered with Google. And then Google will come along, crawl the site, and then uh, add it to their index. And our goal here is a short turnaround from Activity Insight to Google Search Engine. Like we said, we want cutting edge material in our community bibliography. So we want things that are recent. So we want updates as frequent as we can get them. So I actually went and wrote the sitemap generator. And if I can get this to work, I can show it to you. All right, now here's the big question. Do you think site two will work? No, probably not. All right, positive thoughts, everybody. Yeah, that always works. Just keep hitting reload. Are you wireless or are you plugged in? That is a good question. I believe we're wireless at the moment. I saw your connection drop early on. Yeah. Well, aha, aha, there we go. Yay. So uh, this is, 
Yeah. See, positive thinking. Uh, so what this is is. <laughs> Thank you. See, I thought too positive, and now everything's going to heck. Well, I'll, I'll show it to you on this screen to, to save a bit of time. Uh, so you saw it live earlier. Uh, what I did was I wrote a plugin for Solar, which is what Viewfind is based off of, which actually goes through and pulls out every record ID, and then I present it uh, via a web plugin. So actually, writing that was pretty simple. Uh, so to the credit of Viewfind, I was able to whip that up within, what, about a week or so? Well, I first had to learn everything, and then I was able to whip it up in a week. But, uh, so if you have the knowledge, you can do it pretty quickly. Uh, it's, it's just a simple, this is a simple XML format that tells me all of the information that we have in our records. So I can give it different formats. On the left is XML, on the right is JSON. We can put it in Ruby, et cetera. So now that I generate that, I can produce a sitemap. Has anybody actually seen a sitemap before? A couple of people. These are really simple. They are surprisingly simple. Uh, if you go through, this header stuff is uh, standard stuff. You can actually cut and paste this. And after that, you just say, here is my site. Here's how often I want you to change it. Here's my next site. Here's how often I want you to change it. Really easy. So the next time somebody comes up and tells you, ah, I'm busy and making sitemaps, et cetera, et cetera, it's really simple. So you can blow them off, tell them to get back to work. <laughs> so now we're able to generate these things. We can load them up into Google. So as you can see, here's our viewfind and our community bibliography on the left, like it was on the right from the previous slide. So we can generate the XML sitemap. And then we go into Google Webmaster Tools and we say, hey, Google, we have a sitemap here. Go read it. And everything else is out of our hands. Google goes in, reads the sitemap. It crawls over our pages. And then everything appears in Google, like magic. So speaking of magic, I'll do it this way. So I actually put stuff into Google at 12.36 PM yesterday. So. And uh, magically, it showed up in the middle of the evening. I did a lookup of modus inviendi polum. I figured there wouldn't be too many records about modus inviendi polum <laughs> in the index. I looked up something earlier. I looked up uh, something uh, about the Apostle Mark. And then there was 20,000 Amazon <laughs> buy a book records previous to it. So I figured probably this is the easier way to go. But we show up as number two. Actually, number one is Google Books. So I put it in, crawled over. Within a few hours, we're showing up on Google. So just to prove it, Modus Inviendi Paul. This is, uh, I looked this up about half an hour ago while everyone was eating. So it's still there. I didn't, didn't uh, magically you know, use uh, Photoshop and cut it out and put it back in. <laughs> I'm sure I'll get accused of later. But uh, any questions so far? Go ahead. Question at the beginning of your process. Yes. Um, you're using it. Is every all the faculty required to use it? Yes, I, I I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, they use that for their tenure process. So I think it is required. Yeah, it's required for all faculty to use it. Now the quality of it is. Can be variable, but they do. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, all faculty are required to enter data into Activity Insights, but certain elements of the university haven't gotten around to it yet because, for example, the Arts and Sciences colleges have had college hasn't gotten to its third year review yet. So when they're going to need that report creating uh, tool, that's when the faculty are going to start to kick in. The one thing that we haven't highlighted here today is that we're hoping to launch uh, a service from the library to help facilitate faculty in entering their data into Activity Insight to solve one of the problems that David referenced earlier that we've encountered many, many times, which is unfortunately faculty just don't seem to want to put the information into the way the librarians want them to. So, so we don't want to have to keep going in and touching it up. So if we can offer the service of actually aiding them and helping them to get the data in there correctly in the first place, then when we extract the data, we know we're getting the data. And that's not to demonize faculty. I mean, no. I've, I've gone through forums before where I'm like, this is stupid. A, B, C, D, E, enter. They'll figure it out later. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. as librarians, we all want uh, things to be perfect and exact. But in the real world, A, B, C, D, E, enter. Yeah, so, uh, any other questions? Yes. Uh, we it's what, linked through the faculty uh, the faculty full text collection yes. is in the digital library so all of the records that are there are linked to the faculty full text collection so if it is available in as an image then it goes over to the digital library in a somewhat seamless way for the user but then that way it allows the community bibliography to not be in any way inhibited by copyright because we can then produce a bibliography of all of that intellectual output just as a quick side note, just to prove that I'm not making this stuff up, if you go to our community uh, website and then do sitemap.xml, you can actually look at the sitemap. It's, uh, I want to hit enter, but it will disappear here. So, But it, it's there, it's live on the site. You can actually probably do it for a lot of sites. They call their sitemap sitemap.xml. So you go to their front page, type that in, and you can see how they map their stuff into Google and Bing, uh, et cetera. So it's not just Google, by the way. You can use this sitemap for Bing, which is Microsoft search engine, and, and others. Any other questions? All right. Well, to uh, clean up this mess up here, uh, let me uh, introduce Stephen Spatz, who will be talking about our uh, OJS and uh, journals. My name is Stephen Spatz. I'm assistant outreach librarian, and uh, I'll be talking about uh, uh, publishing, uh, uh, hosting e-journals online with OJS. Just gotta get this up here. And uh, my time is divided in the library between a few different teams. Uh, in addition to doing uh, research support at the reference desk, uh, reference desk hours, I'm on both the outreach team and the digital library team. And uh, we've heard some about uh, projects that we have that straddle the line between these two, these two uh, teams, uh, specifically the community bibliography and faculty full text. And uh, I would like to uh, explore the concept of hosting e-journals, uh, looking at this as a, uh, a collaborative project between uh, these two types of entities, and uh, specifically looking at it as an outreach project. Let's see if I can find my... Because I think that the argument can be made that uh, hosting e-journals, especially uh, the type of partnership that, that has been developing between uh, 
the library and departments and uh, faculty is, uh, is something that can be really strong for the library. Um, so anyway. I think I've got an old version of my uh, PowerPoint here, but this is just uh, some thoughts that I, that I had about this. I was going to discuss, uh, uh, take a little time to discuss why we might choose to host journals in the library, and then talk about how. And uh, as I'm doing this, I'm going to see if I can pull up our journal page. Um, just out of curiosity, are there any other libraries represented here today that are doing a project like this, hosting journals in the library? Okay, this is something that we came to uh, pretty recently. Um, it's been talked about, before my time it was talked about as a digital library project. And um, there was some uh, latent interests uh, from some journals on campus, I, I don't recall which ones exactly, that uh, came and went. There was the, the talk about the idea of hosting journals within the context of the digital library, I believe. And then uh, in the meantime, we've had some uh, outreach activity that uh, is akin to the kind of partnership work that Darren does um, that has led to us using OJS uh, to host journals in the library. Um, here are some thoughts about why. Why host journals at the library? Uh, the library is already the main provider of academic journal content the in to the institutional academic community. The journal go-to place for students, instructors, and scholars. Uh, people doing research, students and researchers, are already coming to the library, um, both for our electronic collections uh, and print collections, coming for research support. Uh, this is the clearinghouse for journals on campus. This is where people come for journals. Um, the idea that uh, um, that that we could um, also become an active player in in uh, in providing content to the academic community is something that I think is a natural uh, a, a natural direction for the library to go. Uh, also, we're looking at open access. There's all of the issues surrounding open access with journals. Uh, general movement toward open access benefits both scholars who would be less often stymied by subscription gates and being at the research desk, there are often, there are many times when uh, a, a, a journal is simply not available or there's a, an embargo on a journal that uh, prevents them from being able to easily access the material, especially if there's a time constraint. We can always go to, uh, to interlibrary loan. But just the idea that there's limited access to certain uh, certain resources makes it more difficult. Uh, and then that, that leaves us also in the position of being able to provide more access to things uh, that, would, that would otherwise be uh, gated. There's also the idea that journals, uh, academic entities, departments, and programs that might want to or have been thinking about uh, starting a journal but have been uh, blocked by the costs and uh, the hassles of, of going through a commercial publisher and all of the things that that entails. Um, hosting a, a service like OJS uh, allows an entity to have a place on campus to come and 
play around with the idea of starting a journal without having to, uh, to devote a lot of time and energy to the usual channels. This is what I was uh, trying to express about a, uh, the library taking an active role in disseminating resources. Through staff retrieval expertise and subscription access, we're already reaping the benefits of content providers' efforts to maximize findability of their resources. We are collecting journals for the use of the entire community, and uh, their um, scholars and students are already coming to us to um, to access the resources they need. But now with local journal hosting, the idea that the library can reciprocate and take an active role in disseminating resources from our institution outward into the scholarly community is another, uh, it's, a, it's another piece, I see it as a piece uh, very uh, bearing a distinct relation to the community bibliography and faculty full text where this is an opportunity for the library to take an active part in showcasing the scholarly output of the community in another way. So in that respect, journal hosting is a win-win situation for scholars and libraries. In here, scholars enjoy wider distribution of their ideas and enhance potential for communication within their research communities as more work in their field is rapidly and freely accessible. And this is, look, this is taking a long view toward a wide uh, acceptance of open access and lots of projects moving this direction. There's always the, uh, there's a traditional hesitancy uh, on the part of some scholars to publish in open access journals and lesser known journals because of the reputation and especially in the tenure years it demands uh, tenure publishing in some departments demands publication in, a, in prestigious outlets that, that are well known in the community but as more open access uh, projects come online and the norm shifts from using commercially produced peer-reviewed journals to uh, the idea that um, quality research can be disseminated in an open access, locally grown journal. Uh, this will open up the field uh, very widely in the in the future for for scholars um, and students. And then for libraries, libraries take their rightful place as intermediaries of knowledge between scholars, creating, disseminating academic research, and scholars seeking and finding the resources they require. And uh, that's why I think this can be considered an outreach project because uh, similar to the community bibliography, um, scholars can come, can, can start to see the library as the kind of, as the place where their scholarship can be funneled out into the community and findability is, uh, is, is not going to be an issue. They won't need to go to an outside entity necessarily to get their research disseminated. And, uh, and then that in turn will enhance the reputation of the library on campus as the kind of, uh, as the, the entity where the scholarly output of the community is, is emanating from. Now we chose to use OJS and uh, I think what made the decision, at least from my perspective, is we were approached by a journal on campus that was using a, com a, a commercial publisher uh, and they had been through two volumes, four issues of, uh, of a print journal, and they had an online component also on the commercial publisher's website. And uh, when they came to us to ask if, if it was feasible for us to take over publishing their journal, 
which was a fee-based, subscription-based journal that was not getting too much attention. And uh, I think partially because of the subscription model, they were not uh, able to uh, reach the kind of audience that they were hoping to reach. And so they came to us to see whether it might be feasible to move to an online uh, only model hosted here in the library. And so I went and looked at their commercial website after having looked at OJS, and I noticed that the commercial publisher that's hosting, say, 50 journals or so on their website was using OJS. And I recognized the interface, recognized all the reading tools, and I thought, okay, what are they doing that is not possible for us to do here? And uh, learning more about OJS, it's, it's, uh, its functionalities really uh, make it possible for anyone to run a journal, uh, publish a journal, and, and perform all of the administrative functions of a journal through this one site, including logging all of the activity that goes through it. And whoops. And uh, this is a, a workflow chart uh, that's part of their uh, basic documentation. And it's designed to show uh, that uh, the workflow of a journal can follow through from start to finish. And every aspect of it can be, uh, can be logged and used and, and performed through the use of OJS. And, uh, can see we've had we've had uh, questions from from prospective journal clients who wondered well is it possible for authors to submit through the through the website or do we have to do we have to gather our submissions and do all of that and then bring it to this this hosting service and the reality is you can do anything you want we've had all levels of uh, involvement requested. And uh, we're not that deep into this project yet, but there have been all levels of involvement with the software requested. You can see that the author <coughs> signs up as a user and submits. The editor is the one that, that can be inside and gets the submissions uh, and then passes it off to whoever's going to be doing the reviewing. They can choose reviewers. Reviewers can sign up as, a us as users inside the uh, inside the uh, software, get all of their communication, uh, email back and forth, send files back and forth, bring their uh, comments back to the editors, the editors make the decisions, and in the process, uh, uh, communicate back with the authors about their submission decisions, about their uh, whether they're accepted or, or uh, whether they need revisions, and that can all go back through. Uh, all this communication can happen from within the software, and everything that happens is logged. And then, uh, all the way down to the publishing, editing, uh, putting sections together. Whoever does the layout does what they would normally do outside. Um, and then putting issues together and publishing. And uh, our most uh, early, our earliest examples were um, journals asking us whether we can just take their online content and put it up as archives and basically just host an online version of their journal, which we have, we have done. But we've also, in the process, made them aware that they could be doing, uh, they could be performing a lot of all of the other functions that go into creating a journal wow. through this software. This is the site for uh, expositions, which is the first uh, the first journal that we uh, 
started to host. You can see that this, I, I actually even cut this text from their, from their commercial publisher website. It's the same kind of thing that you would see if you, in earlier years, had linked to them through a, a catalog search or a database search. Um, we've got an archive of issues. If you look at their latest issue here, table of contents, um, linked to abstract pages with the abstract, and then the PDF, and full text is just right here on our website. It works exactly the same as a, uh, as a commercial site would. And, and building this stuff is very easy. Um, bringing issues in, what I had to do to bring issues in was uh, they, have an, they have an XML, well that didn't quite work. I suppose in a sense that is working in a similar way to databases sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's an XML form that's, a, that's an article and issue plugin that you, uh, it's, a, it's an import document that you just uh, fill in the metadata and uh, link to the, the full text document uh, that's, that, that, uh, that's stored somewhere else on the internet. I usually store them on my personal web space and then, and then grab them for this. And then you just click import and it goes in. And if it works, you, uh, you're there, it just shows up. This is what the administration page looks like. Oh, I guess I have to log in. So when you start a new uh, a new journal, you give it a name, and then there are all these different setup uh, things that you do, and. Uh, Really, the, the journal clients just, they give us the information in general, and in some cases, in the case of expositions, uh, they've even uh, gone as far as to sign up as editors and go in and administer their own pages, put the comments that they want, uh, submission uh, guidelines, um, everything, that, everything that they need to run the journal. Uh, the other thing that you can do is, this is the, the uh, stock design that comes with this, but, but uh, through CSS you can uh, you can give pages custom designs. And this is another uh, journal that we've, that we've done, Concept, um, which is another on-campus journal. And uh, they had, this, this journal was, was built here from a, uh, an HTML-based website that they had been just cutting and pasting the content year after year and, and it was very difficult to navigate and uh, there were a lot of mistakes and it, it didn't look too good and uh, we moved their entire content over to this and uh, Joanne, the graphic designer, sent them a, a couple of different uh, header designs. They chose one and then we designed the page around it and now they have this custom website for their journal. Um, a, lot of, a lot of times we get the question of whether uh, 
by leaving a commercial publisher and coming to our OJS, is, is that going to make it so that uh, their materials are not as findable as they were before? But the truth is that findability solutions abound, which minimize any disadvantage of non-affiliation with a commercial publisher. Uh, journals that give away their content freely, uh, OAI metadata can be harvested and, and uh, join search, search engines. Full text indexing of articles, third-party OCR software not included, and this is where this project dovetails with what's going on with the digital library because the same functionality that they're using to OCR um, PDF documents and, uh, and uh, indexing transcripts can be used here to get full text indexing of PDF content in the journals. And then similarly with what Dave was talking about uh, in the last presentation, Google and Google scholarization, it can be uh, metadata and, uh, and also full text indexing can be submitted to Google. And uh, I know that we have, I, I've been trying to find an example. I think this is still a work in progress because I've been able to Google uh, titles of journals and authors and have them come up very high on Google, but uh, we are still in the process of, of moving toward that. But the truth is, um, there will be no lack of findability for coming, coming this route. And similarly, a single installation of OJS can support various authentication models from completely free and open access uh, to individual subscriptions to institutional subscriptions validated via IP range. Uh, in our single inst installation of OJS, we have uh, open access journals, and we have a new one coming on that is, is going to be a subscription-based journal, um, which we'll, we're going to need to uh, put behind uh, authentication, and, and that is very easily done. You don't, uh, some people choose to do multiple instances of OJS for different journals for various reasons, but it, that is absolutely not necessary. You, you can host several, many journals and have different authentication models for each one and, uh, and still function. And these are, the, these are the journals that we have so far. Concept, uh, which we had an unveiling, a uh, uh, introduction of, of their website and the new issue uh, last spring. Uh, expositions, we are going to have an unveiling event, uh, I think next week. Um, in conjunction with the release of their latest issue, which is the first one to be online only, hosted here in the library. And uh, American Catholic Studies, which is a journal that has been published through Villanova for many years and is now going to be adding a online component, which they have never had before, in a way that's findable, uh, that's free, and showcases what's going on here at Villanova. And we've been approached by several more journals, and, and in the near future, we're going to be adding a lot more, including uh, one particular department uh, is interested in doing two journals, one of a yearly conference that they have, uh, where they have taken submitted papers but have never had a, a venue to publish, and they've just realized, they heard about our service, I'm not sure how they heard about our service, um, somebody who was already involved, I, I don't remember, but... Uh, Publicity surrounding the events that we had for concept. Okay. Uh, okay, yeah, so the concept event led them to, to understand that there was something going on with journal publishing here, and they were pleased to find out that not only could they bring their uh, idea of publishing a journal around their yearly conference to fruition, but that it's fairly easy to do, and it's not going to cost them anything. 
And in addition to that, the same department is going to be uh, working on developing a peer-reviewed uh, submissions journal to be, to be built and published through us. And they seem interested in using, in making full use of all the tools in, in OJS. Uh, here, here's a closing thought about that. Uh, our e-journals hosting project at Falvey Memorial Library has the potential to solidify and enhance the library's reputation as an interdisciplinary nexus of scholarship for the VU community, not only as a collector of research resources, but as an active disseminator of original research from our departments to the academic communities of the world. It's a way that, that the library can continue uh, this mission of, of uh, collaborating with faculty and departments and bringing original scholarship from Villanova out to the community in an, in an easy, free way. Um, are there any comments about this, about this project? Or, or general questions from, for anybody else. I like to think that the journals project is, is it's another piece in this puzzle of, of collaborating, uh, not only within the library for technology and, and scholarship, but also a way of, uh, I think it's, I see it becoming a way to reach out to departments and have more collaboration with faculty. I believe that that is possible. I have, I, that's not something that we've run across yet, but um, as OJS is an open source software that's freely downloadable and that there's a large community of, I've, I've mainly been looking at the uh, editorial support forum, but I know that Dave, and I think Damien and Dave, whoever's been working on it downstairs, has been, has, uh, been looking at the, the tech support forums, and there are a lot of issues uh, that are being discussed, and I believe that that, that is possible, and if not, someone is free to make it work. I know you can add supplementary files to the main file, and I don't think there's limitation on what the supplementary file are. Uh -huh. I've never actually done it myself, but it looks like you can put up anything, so if you want to put up WAV files or MP3. You just, it'd be similar to having a PDF, you just have to have a, decide what, what software piece is going to open there's it. A, Any other thoughts or questions? Well, uh, Dave Lacey installed it earlier this year or last year. I have been uh, mainly working on the, through this administration page, and they're mostly, most basic things you can do through the administration page and not have to go beyond that. There's a lot that you can do. We did, we did come across a lot of problems that, uh, that were easier, that were better solved through looking at templates and, and some other code stuff that was out of my realm. But I was able to do most without, without having to delve into that. And then it was really when I came across specific problems that I would go to Dave. And he was busy with the digital library the whole time, and we still managed to to get the journals going, so it, it uh, not too much. I, I would say also when we first loaded the instance here, it 
was the, the issue was not actually mounting it. It was what are we going to do in terms of offering services? Because the software itself is not a hard piece to load up. It's, it's the question of how is the library going to utilize that, and, and what are we actually going to say we're able to do for our community? So that was really again a dimension of sort of the outreach that that borders across both programming and also digital library and a lot of other areas. It was to go out and kind of feel out the community and say, you know, well, if we're able to do e-journals, what is it that you're looking for us to do? And of course, that begins a snowball that now has grown to the point where we actually have non-Villanova entities coming to us. And the, the, the best example is the Association of Catholic Colleges and Universities as their journal of Catholic higher education. has been print-only form forever, uh, but they're interested in going into an e-journal, and so we're in the process of negotiating that. Their board of directors is going to be voting on that later this month. So, um, so it's, it's, it just is amazing what, you know, it's not the technology per se, you know, if you build it, they will come. Well, it's not quite that simple. You, you can't just build it and they come. It's, you build it and then you figure out, how is this actually meeting some needs? And how is it going to be, and is it supportable? Do we have the capacity to, to meet their needs based on what services you say we would offer? I know from a technical side, if you just upgraded to their latest version, 2.3.3, and that went in pretty easily. And to PKP's credit, the publisher they, uh, their technical boards are pretty active, and uh, they answer questions within 24 hours. Usually I'll write something in the evening and it'll be answered by something in the morning. So. Another sort of technical aspect of it that relates to this conversation is, uh, you know, we, we've invested pretty heavily in Summit here, and when I was talking to Andrew Nagy, who was the developer who was here and went to Summit, and we were talking about a couple of different things, the one thing that when I talked about OJS and what we're doing with Patreons, he said, well, it just so happens the Public Knowledge Project folks who developed OJS have actually approached Summit and said, we want to look to have our content to be completely integratable with what Summit is doing, because they saw them as the, as the industry leaders as far as what's going on there. So as in Damien, I think it was Damien's uh, presentation on, on Viewfind, when he did a search, he was getting information, certainly using Summit, but it also had expositions, concepts, all the things that we're producing in our e-journals. So that from the end user standpoint, they're doing one search, and then they're gonna, they don't really care where they're getting it from, but it does have those facets where it could be drawing it from our e-journals, it could be drawing it from the summit, it could be drawing it from the And I forgot to point out, but on, a, on the, uh, when you click to an abstract page, also the, the a lot of the, uh, these article tools that you're used to seeing in, in other databases are also here, like for instance, how to cite item. You know, you can click on this and choose your citation format the same way that you can, and, which is nice. And there's also commenting. So it's really not, la I, the fact that, pu that commercial publishers are using the same software is, that, that told me something. It seems like the convention so far is to design the, the online PDF page as if it were a, a print page. That's what we're seeing right now. 
but as Laura pointed out, there's, you know, the sky's the limit as far as format and, and uh, Zero cost. Right. 
Because you're producing this stuff for the scholarly community, why shouldn't it be made freely available to the scholarly community? Right. Unless you're getting into issues of things that have to be produced in lead boxes like at Lockheed right. Martin. <laughs> that was very funny. Dave came and he said, you know, I'm so used to working inside a lead box with no windows. And right. I said, well, cancel the lead box. That's why literally it was a lead box in the middle of a building in the basement. So you go in and there was no outside access because it was lead, there was no radio signals, there was no internet, there was nothing to get in the room. So you go in, work your eight, nine hours, walk out, the universe had changed. You just kind of got used to not knowing what was going on. So, and as much as that serves its purpose, we want to be the antithesis of yeah. that. <laughs> right? I mean, did you want to add to that? No, no. Other than, other than uh, you know, if you look at what, what we've done, there are some noticeable absences. One being, um, well, we tackled serials. What about ebooks? What about being a um, university uh, electronic book publisher? Uh, that's something that's hanging out there. Uh, you know, is that something that can be situated or best situated in the library? And some places have done that successfully, like Cornell. Um, you know, whether that can happen at Villanova or not um, is debatable. But it is a natural fit for, um, in my opinion, for libraries to take on the mantle of um, the um, ebook publisher for the university. Other questions, comments? Thank you all. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. I guess we're going to all hands on deck as well to get this done.